Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer Steven Serta. Busy week for the Kansas City Chiefs as they open the NFL season on Thursday night football against the Detroit Lions. So, got plenty to recap from this past week, and then we'll wrap things up with a bit of the post-game show reacting to the Chiefs' opening week contest against the Lions. We'll start things off with the Out of Structure podcast discussing the latest news that we had from Chris Jones. After that, it's the Great British Chief Show previewing Thursday's contest against the Detroit Lions. After that, we'll take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll catch up with Chiefs Coast to Coast, highlighting some comments from Chris Jones on Wednesday and then highlighting the injury report ahead of Thursday's game. Then we'll catch up with Show and BK as they discuss what the Chiefs needed to do on Thursday when they had the ball. And then we will wrap it up with the Arrowhead Pride Rapid Reaction Show. Myself and Rocky Magana reacted to Thursday's contest. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Man, but there is just just this, this little cloud, this little dark cloud disrupting that right now, Stags. We should all be we should all just be all joyous, all positive. There should be nothing in our way. But of course, we got to be taught, you know, we got to, you know, have this Chris Jones situation still playing out as we're on Tuesday morning now. And he still hasn't, you know, reported to the team. He's still on the, you know, do not report list, you know, so not a part of the 53 man roster. Man, Stags, I want to be so, you know, excited right now. But, uh, you know, that's just going to be in the back of our heads during this entire podcast, isn't it? Yeah, maybe we can get it out of the way up front just because it's all anybody's talking about right now. There's been report after report, agent leaks, you know, all kinds of speculation going on. It sounds like, well, first of all, he's not going to be there week one. That's that's a given yeah. at this point. Yes. He's not playing against the Lions. Uh, it's not official, but it is basically official. It sounds like the negotiations are somewhere in the $10 million, $9 million you know, difference over a two-year span. Uh, he's going to lose that much in fines here pretty soon, so I'm not really sure what the point of this whole thing is at this point. Yeah, and, and my opinion really is that his, just, his agents really have given him bad advice, and he's been following the bad advice, and it's just gotten him to a, a point where maybe he's just you know, they're just too stubborn, too prideful to, to you know, get their way out because the Chiefs aren't aren't backing down. And so we're just in this dumb standoff that's now impacting real games. It's impacting the team on the field. Um, and, and Chris Jones deserves to get paid. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that Chris Jones deserves to get paid what he he wants to get paid. But Stags, you are, uh, you know, one that definitely understands this, that the market develops the way the market does. And the market didn't develop the way he necessarily wanted it to in terms of, you know, the the other defensive tackles not getting paid as much maybe as they could have that would have maybe boosted his ability to get the number he's looking at. Um, I think that's one thing here. And I yeah. just, I just think, 
it just played out that way. And, and now you just got to say, look, like, hey, you know, we lost or and it shouldn't even be really a loss. Like, you know, it's just how the market goes and you're still going to make, you know, a lot of guaranteed money. You know, hopefully the Chiefs, you know, give him a lot of guaranteed money. But um, now it's just this dumb Santa. So it is frustrating, man. You know, I'm, I want to be I just want to be all excited about the on field. But, you know, Chris Jones is just still not on the field. Stags. Yeah, when it comes to the market, it's interesting because I think it. Everybody wants to talk about the Aaron Rodgers, sorry, the Aaron Donald contract, <laughs> and the Aaron Donald contract. If it is the market, if that's the market, then you can see why Chris Jones, uh, you know, wants to to meet that number or be close to that number because his play on the field has has warranted it. I think the Chiefs see that contract as an outlier, and they say the real market is Quinn and Williams and these other guys. So. You know, I, I can see why there's an impasse depending on how you see that Aaron Donald contract. If that is really, you know, if that's real or if that's just a, a one off because it's Aaron Donald. My thing, though, Stags, is, is Chris Jones is coming off of his best career season. Right. And yes, he is one of the best defensive players in the league right now. But he has to be realistic about who Aaron Donald is and how, he is not. Aaron Donald. He is not a three-time defensive player of the year. He has not been a first-time All-Pro for what is this seven, eight consecutive seasons. Uh, last year he didn't get to it, but this is Aaron Donald makes the kind of money he does because he's one of the greatest defensive players of all time. And Chris Jones is one of the best defensive players in Chiefs history, but he has not cemented himself at all as one of the best NFL defensive players of all time. And that's where it's just frustrating. Where it's like I get you trying to take advantage of your leverage. But at some point, you have to understand you, you don't des, you know you don't deserve the number that Aaron Donald got, and you you push for it. But and and we're at this point where look, you're under contract. It's just it is frustrating, Sags. I'm, yeah, I'm, it, I'm, you you push for it, but then at some point, there's got to be a all right, right. That's what I wanted. Here's what they're offering. You know, at some point, it, it's got to end, right? And and it's got to be. I think it seems like, and again. Trust the reporting. Don't trust the reporting. If they're really offering a two-year extension on top of this year's number, and that two-year extension would get him up in twenty-seven and a half million a year for two years, fully guaranteed, and then he still could hit the market again if he's still playing at a high level at that point. He's not so old that he couldn't get another contract after that from somebody else, so, uh, or, or Kansas City, obviously. So, you know, it it feels like. The money on the table is good enough that at some point he's just going to have to say, "All right, I want to be here. Let's let's go with it." Uh, or, or maybe this thing resolves in a in a sense that they say we can't agree on a new deal. I'm going to show up and play off this last year on my contract and then see what happens. And if that's, I would I would respect that as well to just say, "Hey, we're we're in a different place when it comes to value, but you know, it's well, not." It's not worth sitting out the season for. That's what does. That's what should happen when the negotiation doesn't get to a point. And that's where that's where it's frustrating, right? Is that Jones is under contract. At some point, when he when when it when it all gets to a point where they know they're not getting what they want, which probably was very clear at some point, you know, early on in this process in the preseason and in training camp, he does need to report because there's no sense in him miss. Like, how is missing games going to help him make money next offseason if the Chiefs don't sign him to an extension as a free agent? Tell me that. 30 years old without playing the year before what team is going to give him the money that he's asking for right now. I just, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't benefit him to miss games and it's going to make it easier for the chiefs to franchise tag him 
uh, next offseason, the less he plays. You know, if he if he misses three or four games, boom, the franchise tag number is not that hard to, to swallow all of a sudden. So it's yeah. it makes no sense. It just makes absolutely no sense. All right. Well, now that we've resolved that issue, let's <laughs> let's move on to the active roster. Those guys that will be on the field this week. We ju- we just pushed through that 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 cloud, Stags. We just we just fought through it, and now we're on that. We're no- looking at sunny times. We're looking at that Chiefs playing on an actual football in an actual football game. It's the, the great clouds times. have cleared. the The rain has stopped. <laughs> it is uh, it is go time with the fifty three man roster. As you mentioned last week, uh, I was joined by our guys Maurice and Serta. We talked about. The initial cut down and some of the moves that it took for the Chiefs to get to that point, it was one of those deals where, as we expected, the Chiefs were very late in making their official announcement. They went right up to the wire, and, and really, Ron, that was a, a we had a fifty-three minute podcast exactly last week. Oh wow, plus, nice plus ads, but anyway, fifty-three minute podcast, and I think the official announcement came out uh, at a, about minute 40, 45, somewhere around there of the, of that, of that pod. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the chiefs have made a little bit of reshuffling since then. There were a few surprises about that roster. Uh, since you weren't there, is there anything you wanted to, to add anything that you were shocked about in the initial 53? You know, honestly, nothing really shocked. I did, you know, I was a Matt Bushman supporter for a long time, but I did come around to the fact that he just didn't, there's no reason to put him on the 53, right? Um, you know, I did think they could have, you know, had Blake Bell in the practice squad, but why, why not? Why not just keep him on the active roster? I mean, he's going to play obviously a significant role. I think right away, uh, you know, as that third tight end uh, with Jody Fortson out of the picture. Um, but, you know, Darian Kennard getting cut was surprising. I figured, you know, they've had a pretty good history of, of keeping, you know, those guys at least into that, that third or fourth year, right. You know, Kennard's only in his second year as an offensive lineman, um, so, but he did come back to the practice squad. So, uh, you know, uh, besides that, you know, Matt Dickerson was the only true surprise and, you know, he was, he was the one released, uh, you know, uh, the following day for the former Colts cornerback, the rookie fifth round pick from this year, Darius Rush, uh, South Carolina prospect. He is now on the 53 man roster because my guy, I do have to say sayonara, um, you know, uh, uh very sad goodbye to my guy, Khalif Halasi was hyping him up all off season. Um, had a great preseason, and that's why the Browns claimed him off the Chiefs, you know, cutting him uh, last week. And so they had to kind of, you know, replace that back-end guy right there. And Rush was a better prospect than Halasi, you know, to a lot of people. So it actually, you know, might have been a, a net positive. You know, probably in Beach's mind, that's probably what happened, right, that he probably got a better cornerback uh, than, than Halasi. Um, he didn't get anything in Halasi's return, right? It was just a cut. But I think It's hard to argue against Rush. this team's track record on uh, taking – little known corners and, and making something out of them. So I uh, pretty optimistic about rush who has a great athletic profile. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're going to be able to do something with him. Yeah. Matt Dickerson, you know, was a, was one of those guys that were like, Oh, he made the 53, but then you, you had this feeling that that was part of the transaction. I think that's the, one of the big takeaways as we look at the practice squad, just about everybody that was released that you would say, Oh, I really hope that guy sticks around. Just about all of them are on the practice squad. So this is a pretty solid group uh, on the practice squad. They, there were a couple of new additions, and let's talk about those. But some of the, the mild surprises, they, they only kept three running backs, uh, and, and they released both LaMichael Pirine and Daenerys Prince. Yeah, and that was surprising. Guys, both guys ended up on the practice squad, so all, all's well. I mean, this is really a, a 60 
69 and 70-man roster, really, uh, when, when, you, when you think about the way teams are now able to use the practice squad with regular call-ups. This is a, an expanded 53-man roster that does include Darren Kennard, who, who was released, as you just talked about, Matt Bushman as well, both of those running backs. Um, other mild surprises, maybe at quarterback, Shane Bouchelle moving on, uh, Chris uh, Ol- <laughs> Ol- <laughs> maybe whatever, Chris. Ol- Oladokun, I think. Oladokun, uh, uh, yeah, is, uh, yeah, Oladokun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is the we got it the number three corner, the number three quarterback at this point? Uh, I thought he was show, showed some interesting flashes in preseason. Uh, has some athletic ability as a runner uh, as well. Probably the ideal practice squad quarterback to uh, emulate some of these other uh, quarterbacks around the league as it comes to game prep. Uh, good luck to Shane Michelle, who had a good run here as as that in that role. Um, but you know, really, again, looking down the line, Danny Shelton was the other guy who I really thought earned his way on the 53-man roster. Mm-hmm. Ended up on the practice squad, um, and there was another move that, to me, sort of indicates that maybe there was something there was something at, at play here when it comes to the defensive tackle position. The Chiefs made a trade within the division uh, with the Raiders of all of all teams. Uh, for near Neil Farrell Jr., who's a, a defensive tackle, a nose tackle, really, out of LSU, uh, just a yes. last year, the year before, uh, a couple years ago. Fourth round pick. Fourth uh, round pick. Year. You know, big, big player, uh, stout, you know, nose, nose type player, one tech, zero tech. Played some three tech, it sounds like, in preseason for the Raiders this year. Um, but he's he's huge. He's on the, he's on the big side. He's on the Danny Shelton. Um, you know, Derek Nottie and, and the, you know, there's the Chiefs have a lot of these guys now. So, yes, uh, a lot of people wanted to relate the Pharrell trade with the Chris Jones situation. To me, it may have more to do with with the development of of Shelton and of, uh, you know, what they think about Derek Nottie and where they think, you know, they're there. They are with Keandre Colburn. They really seem to have prioritized that no tackle position as, as one that could be upgraded. And maybe they just want a big rotation uh, while Chris Jones is out. Um, anyway, uh, that's that out of the way. Uh, let's talk about the Lions. Oh. Now, <laughs> the Chiefs versus Lions, it doesn't sound like a sexy matchup, but I always remember the one that we had from 2015 back in uh, the UK, which was, that was a hell of a game. I thought that was good. Well, it was good for us. It was a hell of a game for the Chiefs because we actually blew out the Lions. And I always mm-hmm. have a fond memory when this this kind of game comes around, Lions and the Chiefs. But there's a bit of an improvement from the Lions this season, yeah. apparently, isn't there? <laughs> a bit of an improvement. <laughs> Dan Campbell, he's a wizard. Like yeah. he's gone, he's turned that franchise into an absolute joke, into a respectable team that a lot of people are picking to win their division this year. Like, mm. and that's in two full, two full seasons. Like he had a terrible first year with Detroit, but you could tell that from it hard knocks alone in that first season, the culture that they were trying to build in Detroit. And I think immediately, I think hard knocks, hard knocks done so much for Dan Campbell. Yeah. Uh, and because he got, widely praised across the board about what he was trying to, to do. And I think 
it helped him in the sense because public perception of what he was trying to do was so good across the general public, media, other executives, the way they're talking about what he wants to do. And the fact they didn't actually have much talent that probably helped the Detroit Lions hierarchy. Who's probably already seen all this as themselves and acknowledged it anyway mm. to hang on, hang on to him. And now the Lions are playing dividend. They made that trade for a quarterback. They, they decided to say goodbye to Matt Stafford give him his parting gift of going to the Rams and let him try and win a Super Bowl, which obviously worked for them. And in return, well, I think they got a first-round pick and Jared Goff, and he looks like a player reborn. I think the Lions are a fun team. I think they are a frisky team. I don't think they're as good as everyone says. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think as good as everyone says because there is a big outlier. There is a big problem there for, for me, and we'll talk about it in a second. But they are a team that I will actively root for this year, 100%. Yeah. After Once, week after, one. after we get Thursday out of the way, yeah. I will actively root for them for the next 16 games happily. Yeah. Well, I, I was a bit intrigued by this team because, I mean, looking at um, how they were last season, I mean, yeah, they had a winning record, but um, apparently the defence in total was one of the worst defences in, in the entire There's no league. apparent about it, mate. They were dreadful. Yeah. You know, and, and I just think, well, how how can you just suddenly flip a switch and suddenly everything's okay again in the in the everything's rosy in the garden because suddenly this team has got has got a, a, a world class defence all of a sudden. How does that suddenly just flick? Because I, I can't understand. I know they got some free agent additions this this time, but surely that doesn't change a team that much or defence that much, surely. I don't, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think, yes, they've added talent on the defensive side of all. Obviously, they've added, added Gardner Johnson from the Eagles. That was a big, big coup for them yeah. to get that player this, uh, this offseason. But I think it's more so on the offensive side of ball that... Everyone's looking at the Lions and thinking, wow, they are, mm. they they know how to almost flick a switch. They're similar to the Chiefs in that sense. They can flick a switch and just go. Yeah. And at the back end of the last season, their defense kind of kept up a little bit. Like the first six games, the defense was horrendous. Like I think they lost mm. a game 45, 44 to the Seahawks, was it? And yeah. by by the end, by the end of it, they're like shutting down Aaron Rodgers. In, in Green Bay in week 17. So like there, there wasn't a noticeable improvement as the season goes on. But we say this all the time about the Chiefs, the Chiefs defense. You don't look at the Chiefs defense and say, oh, superstar, superstar, superstar. We do because we know the Chiefs defense. But from the outside looking in, we don't look at the outsiders, don't look at the Chiefs defense and go, oh, poor Willie Gay, he's a hell of a player, isn't he? Like they don't do that about those type of players. And we're the same with the Lions. But the Chiefs' defense gets better and better as the year goes on. And yeah. that's what happens to the Lions' defense. It gets schematically better. They get more comfortable in the scheme. And teams and the team figures it all out. And that's exactly what happens with the Lions. I think they won, what, nine out of their last 10 games mm-hmm. last year or something crazy like that. They went on yeah. an absolute tear-up at the end of the season. So that's why everyone's hot about them. It's like the 2015 Chiefs, that team, the one that beat the Lions in, in Wembley in 45-10, that team. Started one and five. This team's awful, terrible team. Then, then what happened? We went on like a 10, 11 game win streak. We lost in the playoffs. That was fine. The, and then the next year, we went on, a, we went on an onslaught, didn't we? Actually, 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 was it? No, it was the year after. What's that? Who did we play in? No, I, I was going to say something incorrect then. I was going to say, didn't we go on the tear up in 2015? 
And then the following year, we beat the defending champs on opening night. I was trying to draw comparisons between the two. Uh, no, right. it, was, it was the year after that we yeah. went into New England and beat yeah. them on opening night. No, oh, I, I, I see where you're going with that. Because <laughs> you were yeah. worried that the Lions were going to do the same as, as what we did. Chiefs did. The, yeah, <laughs> Basically, yeah. Patriots, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've not seen too much on, on the Lions, I must admit. It's not something that I've been kind of like keeping my eye on the Lions. But that's... You that's... Like you say, you didn't actually watch them, watch them towards the back end of the year. They, honestly, Brad, they were so much fun. Oh, like... yeah. But it's like, you, you know, you recognise the results, but it's also like... One of the, it, the Lions are always one of those teams that I was like, ah, they're not really one of the first ones I look for when it comes to, you know, watching the other games or, or yeah, watching yeah. the highlights back. Um, but... Yeah, they are becoming a bit more of a sexy team on the the offensive side of the ball. But like I said, I I always worry. I always wondered about that that defense letting them down. And I suppose you're right in a way. I mean, the Chiefs have obviously sorted out their defense, and they don't have those, you know, eye catching star players. Unlike you know, like said Chris Jones, um, on the defensive side, um, the Chiefs have, have have become efficient in in especially at the cornerback position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I suppose I can see it now that, you know, the Chiefs are very much heavily led, led on their offensive side. As long as the defense is putting up, you know, a justifiable kind of, yeah. uh, you know, acceptable level of defense, then the Chiefs are absolutely going to win games. So I can see where you're coming from. You know, the offensive side of the ball for the Lions, they're pretty much loaded on there. And they've got, you know, they've got a thousand yard receiver in uh, Amundsen, uh, Amundsen Brown. Amon Rasen no, Brown. I can't even get his name right. Amon Rasen Brown. You've got That's to say in the Scott Hansen voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always get it wrong. I was I always want to call him Amon Amundsen Brown. No, Amon Ra. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. You've absolutely butchered that one, man. I've absolutely butchered it. Yeah, I have. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, expectation wise, are they over? Are they over egging it a little bit no. for this season? You're not thinking maybe, maybe a little, maybe a little, right? Maybe a little, yes, a little. But I love their offense. I really do. Yeah. Like Ben Johnson. Like I, I, I'll not lie. Right. I've watched three Lions games this weekend in preparation for this show. Okay. Because I am slightly more committed to my job than you are. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, this week three, mate. <laughs> I've watched three Lions games this weekend, and honestly, it was an absolute joy. A pleasure to watch this team. Honestly, yeah. some of the stuff they were doing offensively was just so much fun. They like even like, the Packers, they were just like, Fuck it, we're running it. Don't care. We're just gonna go for it. And then we're gonna rely on Jared Goff when we absolutely have to. They yeah. just got they found something they were good at and stuck to it. And that's what I like offenses to do. Like we we all talk about the, the 49ers Super Bowl. If the 49ers carry on running the football, the Chiefs don't win that Super Bowl. We all know that's true. Yeah. Okay. So I like it when offenses find something they're good at. But the, the Lions, what they're good at is just like, you know, just being stupidly creative. Like there was one, there was one play, right? I watched and I was I should have cut it up and tweeted it, but I was dying when I saw it. It was Penai Saul, their right tackle. Yeah. He was lined out wide on the left hand side and he run in motion. Okay, so run, run in motion, almost like a jet sweep motion. The ball got, he <laughs> went out. And it looked I like he, yeah, 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 yeah. So you're talking about a 300 pound man, or maybe two, 270. How long did it take? Running, running in motion across the line scrimmage. They did say he was athletic when he was coming out of college, by the way. So I didn't realize he was this athletic. And uh, running in motion, and he goes to Jared Goff, and you're thinking, right, here we go. It's going to be a screen out, a wide receiver screen. Penn is going to be out of fun, and he's just going to go and absolutely obliterate a cornerback. Yeah. Oh, no. Penn Iceball runs a um, 
runs a wheel route and ends up catching a diving pass up the sideline. Like I was just watching that. I was thinking this is brilliant. And like, there was another play and I cannot remember who the receivers were, but it might've been Williams. It was Williams. Anyways, they threw the ball to Williams and it was, it was on third and 18 or something, third and 10 or something like that. And it was a designed lateral play, an actual designed lateral play. And I thought, so he threw, he threw it short to the receiver and the receiver just pitched out to the running back who again was on in motion. Yeah. And uh, he, he almost got there. It was a very, very good game. But I just, I was watching it. And as a fan of the Chiefs who continuously roll out highly creative plays, I was just like, I'm going to fall in love with this team this season. And I was watching also scared as well. In fact, petrified about what this team may do to the Chiefs on Thursday night, minus Chris Jones. So the question remains on that then is, can the Chiefs defence handle this Lions offence? With what you've seen already, and you almost compare them to what the Chiefs were like when they were building up to this fantastic offence that they are, um, do you think that the the Lions will tear into the Chiefs defence? Or do you think it's going to be something where... We we've always seen the Chiefs' defense start off a little bit slow, haven't we? Yeah. Um, until they obviously get into the measure of things, and then obviously the you know we, we see them getting better and better throughout the season. So, is this going to be a really bad time to play the Lions? Uh, yeah, I obviously you can go both two ways, right? Yes, the Lions are amazing and whatnot, but the pa- uh, Patriots, sorry, the Chiefs, Patriots? the Chiefs yes. offered by are also incredible, and they're. Every week they're incredible, but off a buy they're even better. So you can look at it two ways. But I just I look at the way that they ended the season last year, and yeah. I know the season before shouldn't carry too much weight. But at the end of the day, that's where everyone's basing their expectations on. And I'm looking at what like Jared Goff done in the last few games of the season. He in the his last six games, his EPA per dropback was zero point three one, which was first in the NFL during that time. So EPA-wise, he was better than Patrick Mahomes in the last six games of the season last year. Really? Yeah. And we all remember the famous Jared Goff season in 2018, the year that Mahomes won uh, MVP, right? Yeah. That 54-51, who was the quarterback of the other team? Yeah, good point. It was Jared Goff. And could the Chiefs stop him for love nor money? Absolutely not. He tore them apart with Gerald Everett at tight end and stuff yeah. like that. And and so there has been, I'm not seeing this saying, oh, I fear Jared Goff, but the version of Jared Goff that played last year was the closest, if not better, than the version of Jared Goff that was brilliant for the first 13 games of the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. Like, ridiculously good. Like, at that point, before he fell off in late November and into December, it was who's going to win the MVP out of Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. Then Patrick Mahomes went up another gear. Jared Goff, unfortunately for him, stepped back a few. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get that version of Jared Goff out of the gates tomorrow, paired with Ben Johnson's creative uh, play calling compared with a running back that's tipped to be rookie of the year by some with Armand Russell Brown with Josh Reynolds, um, who's the other guy they've got? Have they still got DJ Shark? I don't know if they have still got DJ Shark, but they've got so many weapons on that team and they've got a very, very, very good offensive line as well. Mm. I do worry about the the Chiefs' ability to stop the Lions. The weather may play against them, yes. The Chiefs may turn the ball over. They may miss some kicks. 
But what also scares me about this Lions offense, and this isn't, oh, I can't believe, look at him kissing the Lions' ass. Oh, oh, yeah. I just <laughs> I just respect what, who they are. Um, yeah. I also believe that the Lions are going to be very aggressive when they need to be aggressive as well. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to, like, bottle it, essentially. They aren't going to punt much. They aren't going to kick field goals. They are going to try and score points. Yeah. Now, when we flip this onto the other side of the ball, Chiefs offense... For example, I do feel like the Chiefs are probably better placed to be better than they were last year as well. Oh yeah, I, I saw you tweet something out, but obviously we'll get into that in the second half for sure. But you were yeah, you were quite it. high on that, weren't you? I do believe the Chiefs' offense is going to be the best it's ever been under Patrick Mahomes this year. Really? Yeah, that and Super Bowl performance was ridiculous, like outrageous. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, he tries to, he says it all humbly, right? Like, I'm just want to raise. Like, you know, like, I just want to raise. Like, you know how, like, you know, me and you probably want to raise and things that we do, right? So I, I think, and everybody, I think everybody can relate to that as well, you know? So it's just different when he's talking about millions, right? And people are like, well, you already got all this. Like, why do you need an extra few million? And I, it's hard for the casual person to understand but I think it's it comes down to a lot of self-value, I would say. Like, you know, when you see guys getting paid more than you that you are objectively better than and your resume says that, you want to get paid accordingly. It's not really about just penny-pitching a couple of million dollars when you're already rich. It's just about, you know, getting what you're worth. And you just want a Super Bowl. And you're universally known as the third best player on this team at, at, at worst behind Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And like I said before, if it was one of those guys, we wouldn't have got this far. If one of those guys was, was demanding more and really stood strong on it, they wouldn't have got to week one where we're less than 24 hours here recording on Wednesday and you're still looking for a contract. So I think that's part of it as well. Chris Jones is seeing that and he knows he's the face the Patrick Mahomes, if you would, of the defense. You don't think Patrick Mahomes would uh, hold out and miss games? No, 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 he wouldn't. <laughs> but it would never got to that point for us to find out anyway. A lot of people in my comments today were like, oh, it's a PR stunt. Like, it's, uh, you know, he's doing this intentionally right before. That. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's how you create leverage in a in a contract dispute. You know, you try and make, you try and enhance your value or get to the point to where your value is at its highest or where the team realizes or, or is at an impasse to where they can no longer play without you. I want to spin this a little bit forward because we're at the point now to where we've been on this platform saying, oh, he's not going to miss games to the point now to where we're kind of resigned about him not playing tomorrow. And I want to ask going forward, how many games you think he could possibly miss? We talked about this on the Arrowhead Pride Takeover Day on 610 Radio here locally. CDOT. 
Pete Sweeney and I tossed around three and a half as the number for how many games Chris Jones potentially misses. And I want to throw one more nugget in here before I get your opinion. Three and a half is the number we're talking over under potentially how many games Chris Jones misses. And the new information is another blockbuster deal that happens along the D line for San Francisco 49er Nick Bosa blockbuster deal, highest paid player, defensive player in NFL history, uh, according to Adam Schefter, five years, $170 million extension with 122 and a half of it guaranteed. Does that impact how you see the negotiations going? And and then maybe the three and a half number, what your answer is on that? Yeah, to answer the Nick Bosa part of this, I think that has no impact on this at all. First of all, he's the edge rusher. Those guys are valued a little bit more than guys in the middle. And the main thing is he's only 25 years old. Age, I mean, yeah. this is this is a guy that's still entering his prime. The the Niners didn't have any leverage in that situation. They had to give him pretty much whatever he wanted for that reason. Chris Jones is about to turn 30 years old. The Chiefs still have leverage. I mean, if he sits out much longer, obviously the franchise tag can be impacted for next year. And he has to play games this year to accord a, a season. For Or if that's not the case, then he's stuck, right? So he's going to have to play at some point. This year is just a matter of when. So I don't think that really matters for the situation. And to answer your question on how long do I think I'm sitting out, if you have to give you a week as of right now, I'm going to say he comes back week three against the Bears. And this is why I say that. Here's my logic. I think the Chiefs are going to win the first two games. Okay. I think they're going to beat the Lions, and they're going to have a hard-fought game in Jacksonville, and they're going to win that game, start off 2-0. and now you're back at home. You're playing the Bears. If you're Chris Jones and the Cats brothers, you don't want this thing to get too far down the line where the Chiefs are winning too many games without you. And you're going to be clear-cut favorites to beat the Bears. So you don't want them to go 3-0. and <laughs> And then they're heading to the Jets against the, the hype Jets and Aaron Rodgers, head the 3-0 and potentially. Do you really want to risk them going 4-0? and And then if this thing keeps going on, you keep losing leverage. So I think you want to get in there as soon as you can, assuming they do get off to a quick 1-0, 2-0 start here. So that's my logic on that. I think right along your lines is one of the questions that we got in from Facebook. Steve Klein Jr. asked, what do you think happens if the D-line balls out versus Detroit? Does that stall negotiations even further? In my opinion, and I'll take it first and you can go after that, I don't know if it necessarily impacts negotiations. I think when you're talking about signing Chris Jones to a long-term deal or an extension, you're thinking about the December, January, February games, right? Like you're thinking about him showing up when you're playing against Cincinnati at home in the AFC title game or Buffalo in the divisional round. Or I mean, at this point, and this is how I view it, and I'm guessing this is how the Chiefs front office views it. It's going to take him a while to get into game shape anyway, Mark. Like, it, even if he comes back and plays in, in week three, as you mentioned, against the Bears, I'm not expecting him to play a full allotment of the snaps. I'm not expecting him to be in football shape. I saw him today. It was right next to him. He's a big dude normally, but he looked to be in good shape. He talked about working out twice a day while he's down in Miami with his usual team. I don't know if – and. Another part of this question is, what do you classify as balling out? Are, are we classifying multiple sacks or classifying it as one key sack at the end of the game? Like, I don't know. I don't see a world in which even if Kansas City gets, I mean, unless they go out there and get 12 sacks or something insane, I don't see a world in which 
Brett Veach leaves tomorrow's game saying, okay, we're in a good spot without Chris Jones. Like, we don't need him anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I don't think it really matters what the D-line does. I think as long as the Chiefs are still winning. I don't care if the, the score is 51 to 45 because the Chiefs historically under SPAC start off slow defensively anyway. Yeah. Like, let's not act like this is not a thing. So even with Chris Jones, during the first seven or eight weeks, the Chiefs are historically one of the worst defenses over the past four or five years. And then they pick it up around November, December, the months that you mentioned when it gets down to the playoff push. So I don't think that matters. As long as they're still winning games without Chris Jones, to me, he's losing leverage regardless of how they do it. Let's move on to another guy who may or may not play for the World Championships Thursday night to open the NFL season on KSHB 41 locally, your home of the Chiefs. It's tight end Travis Kelsey who hyper extended his knee during practice on Tuesday. Not much that Andy Reid had to say about it, said there was some inflammation. They're going to take a look at it. He officially did not practice on Wednesday, the day we were recording this, and is listed as questionable for the game. This can be quick because I know I've seen some of the reports coming out that this is kind of a short-term injury. They don't see this as something that could potentially linger later into the year. Do you think Mark, it's smart to let Travis Kelsey play? I think the only reason that he's listed as questionable is that he's pushing to play. He wants to go out there and play. Do you think it's smart for Kansas City to kind of lean into that two days after uh, reportedly hyperextending his knee and play against the Detroit Lions? Yeah, if it was up to me, I wouldn't let him play at all. I don't care if he looks good doing pregame warm-ups or not, because after this game, you have 10 days off. So you do have like that half bye week, if you would. And it's game one. If Even if you lose this game, it's not the end of the world. And it's the NFC opponent. It's not like you're playing the Bengals or the Bills. You're, this could be maybe seeding implications down the line. Week two, you do play the Jacksonville Jaguars, who a lot of people are high on that could be potentially in that one to two seed race, especially considering how weak their division is. So that's a much more important game. So, yeah, I wouldn't risk it. I do think he does want to play because we have to remember the first banner night a few years ago, it was only 15,000 fans in a team. So this is going to be the first time the Arrowhead, the Chiefs Kingdom can really embrace in Arrowhead, the banner being dropped, you know, the, all the things that come with it, the pregame, the tailgate and all of that and have a full 79,000 people in the stands. So I think Travis Kelsey really doesn't want to miss that. And we know how he is. He gets fired up. He's very animated. He thrives off those type of environments. So I do agree with you. I think he is the one that's pushing for it. I also do think there's a little bit of mind games here playing from the Chiefs as well. Absolutely. Why, why would you rule him out right now? Give the Lions some extra time to prepare while, you know, you only got 24 hours left. Why not just push this thing to the very, very end? Because obviously he's the number one guy on your game plan from a defensive standpoint. So I think they're still going into this game, going to assume that he's going to play. And if you wait to the last second, he doesn't play. You don't know where the ball's going, especially with all these receivers. I mean, I saw a stat. I think all their, we combine all the receiving room together. All their receptions in their career are still well below Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so you don't know where the ball is going to go if Kelsey doesn't play. So I think the Chiefs are also playing some mind games here as well. Tony Pfizer is rocking with us on Facebook, says Kelsey will try and play. He and his brother have started like 250 consecutive games. They have a hard time 
getting him to sit, which is true. I talked about this with Chris Jones, man. These guys are ultimate competitors. Like as much as their mind tells them like you're not right or you're not, you don't want to compete or it's not time to go or you're not hundred percent. They, when it's game time or when that clock goes and they can feel it in their bones, like they'll do anything they can possibly to get out there and go. But maybe Mark, just maybe hear me out on this one, right? Maybe Travis Kelsey sitting for the chiefs in week one is actually a blessing in disguise. Maybe it's addition by subtraction. We've spent this entire offseason talking about Chiefs pass catchers. Is Rasheed Rice going to be ready? Is Kadarius Tony going to be able to be a wide receiver one? Is Sky Moore going to take that next step? Is MVS going to be able to finally get on the same page with uh, Patrick Mahomes? Finally, you take Travis Kelsey out of that mix. There's no more hiding, right? Like now in week one with the entire NFL world watching after a years long or an offseason long of speculation, they throw them in the deep end of the pool, right? Like it's it, it, it's sink or swim, right? And as you mentioned, it is week one at the end of the day. It's an NFC opponent. If you go out there and lose a tight game, or if you go out there and your rookies like Rasheed Rice have a couple more drops or maybe run the wrong routes or you're lining up, like maybe you get those reps in a game-type environment early in the regular season. Sure, you lose a close one or you win one, and even more, those guys get re-energized. Those guys get the confidence that they need to, hey, you know, those things that we learned in camp, maybe coach was telling the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, just maybe, just maybe, Travis Kelsey at 60% or 65%, which is what I'm guessing he would be at if he went. Like, even if he does go or gives it a go and tries out uh, pregame and ends up going out there, like, he's not 100%. So maybe Kelsey sitting at 60% and the rest of your guys knowing, hey, it's on us. There's nobody else walking through that door maybe just maybe that could be beneficial for the world champs in this game. I, I will say this as we talk about when the Chiefs have the ball. And and this is this is starts this game against the Lions, but goes the rest of the way, fellas, is even with Travis being there, like I look at the personnel and the people involved when you look at Andy Reid down to Nagy, down to Patrick Mahomes, down to Travis Kelsey. Like, I, I mean, the, the, those three guys there in particular are, I think, the best at their jobs. <laughs> Mahomes at quarterback, Andy at head coach right now, and, and, and Travis is, hell, he's not even a tight end. I mean, he, he puts up receiver numbers. So, I, I, like, when you have that personnel, like, I know the offense is going to be good. It's going to be a good offense. The thing that kind of makes me nervous or maybe even steal your word, uh, which I think makes a lot more sense in this way than yours did, BK, but I'm a little excited too, but but a little nervous to see what it actually looks like because I don't know exactly how this is going to come together because, and this was with Travis, because it's, it's just different parts again, right? And and I don't like I don't know where I could see the emergence of Pacheco and McKinnon that the running backs are a lot more involved, and this is how they get things. I can see with this young receiving core that I, we've said this since we've been doing it since the offseason. They don't have as much experience. We don't know much about them in terms of how they've done it on the field. There's just not a lot of proof of what they can do. But they're vastly, in my opinion, more talented than the group. They're older from last year, and they're better than Juju, whose knee is about to blow up. Like, they're better than that. They're more talented than that group. But we just don't know about them. So, I like, I, it's, it is just, to me, really interesting 
how it's going to happen. I have complete belief with Andy Mahomes and Kelsey on the team that it's going to be a good offense. I'm going into this game against the Lions not quite sure how they attack teams. And and I'm actually nervous slash excited about it. Yeah, I'm legitimately intrigued uh, to see what it looks like because (laughs) I I, want to see – I want to see how specialized it is because like, are are they going to use Kadarius Tony just in kind of the gadgety stuff that they used last year with McColl? Are they going to have more on the plate for Isaiah Pacheco or are they going to continue using him as a grinder with McKinnon as their third down back? What is the role early on for Rasheed Rice? What are they going to do if anything with Justin Ross? Are they going to have him kind of in that like, red zone role that they had last year for some of the third and fourth string tight ends that kind of the way that they'll utilize him is sky more just the direct replacement for juju and is he ready for that role so all of these things and so many more mark was valdez scantling is he more than what he was a year ago can he be more than what he was a year ago i i don't right now have the answer to any of those questions and i think within the first month we're going to find out what the answers are and that to me is to use a word intriguing I think the most interesting thing about all of this stuff is like, is there going to be some malfunctions schematically and like formation wise, like, you know, famously Sky Moore was lined up on the wrong side in the Super Bowl and whatever. And I think that's what kept him off the field so much last season. But everything that you've heard about Sky Moore this offseason is like he's locked in. He he knows everything about the playbook. Like he is going to be highly involved in the offense and that's why Justin Watson is going to have a bigger role than a lot of us probably want, uh, especially me. But a lot it's of us, you, probably, man. I don't have a problem with Justin <laughs> Watson. Uh, but like Richie James is going to be in the mix. Rasheed Rice is going to be in the mix. Justin Watson and, or Justin Ross has an opportunity to be in the mix. And it's just it it is it's a lot of questions and kind of similar to what BK was saying, like. I just want to see how they're going to do it. Like, is this a real rotation? Like, is it going to be Justin Watson and MBS and Kadarius Tony and, and sky Moore? Like, is that going to be your top four or are they legitimately going to rotate seven different wide receivers? And all these guys are going to play like 35% of the snaps or something in a rotation. Like, which would also be really unique across the NFL. Like you wouldn't see very many teams do that. But I, I think there's going to be some schematical growth and, and, and some issues and, and, and growing pains as they try to figure that out. Because I'm not totally sure the Chiefs know what, what it is right now. Like, I yeah. think that they are comfortable with Justin Watson, with uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Sky Moore. Kadarius Tony, I think they wanted to be really comfortable with him, but he missed all of training camp. So I would imagine he's going to be on snap count and he's going to get deployed kind of in a similar role as he was late last season where they're going to put him on the field and they're going to use him when he's on the field. And then when he's off the field, he's off the field and they're not going to worry about him. And he's probably going to play like 20% of the snaps on opening night. But I think that they're still like, there's just a lot of tinkering. Like there's a lot of tinkering and playing around and kind of seeing what works and I think Pacheco and McKinnon could wind up having a bigger role on opening night because those are the things that they know work. And those we are the just things don't. That they know are proven. We just don't know. 
<laughs> it's, we just have it's no not, idea it's it's, weird. Fu- it's it's fun like it, it's interesting like i'm really like, intrigued by it like but I, it's also like yeah you're kind of scared I, but i think it's not even a scared thing right like, i think you all we all know how this thing's gonna end i think it's going to end with this being a top five offense we just at this point don't know how it's going to get there like what is going to be the key to it and and uh, yeah, I, I, I am intrigued, a little nervous energy with that. All right, when the Lions have the ball, this is I want to I want to do a little experiment here. All right, I, I'm this is this is this is the thought in my head. All right, we know Chris Jones is not going to play, and my thought in my head is who is the number one person who needs to step up? Well, if you could pick, if you could pick right now, one person on this defensive unit to step up in the place of the absence of Chris Jones, the one person that is most important that you would need to step up in the absence of Chris Jones, who would it be? Now I want to count to three and I want to see how many different names the three of us throw out or if they're all the same. Anybody on the defensive unit, the person, the one person you would pick to step up as Chris Jones is not here. One. Two. Three. Spags. George. So you two said George. See, I think it's Spags. For me, it's like it, it's That's Spags. annoying. You, you, yeah, you, I thought we were talking players. That's, I, I, Spags. I thought we could throw defensive. Yeah, Spags is going to blow the hell out this. of us. Oh, listen, <laughs> I said defensive unit. Okay. That's cheating. That's yeah, like, cheating. Uh, I did. It's not cheating. For me, I mean, it's, it's a good cheating. answer. It's an objectively great answer. To but you I hate it. <laughs> to you is George. To me, it's Spags. Like he has got to in some way manufacture pressure for this group. Because I think this group could get pressure with Chris Jones and the pressure and the and the protection shifted to him. And those guys get to go on one-on-ones. But now it's not. Now there's nobody, and he's going to have to find a way to manufacture pressure. And we've seen him do it before. Hell, I've seen him. I've seen him watch. I've watched him drag Reggie Reggie Ragland through there and find a way to get pressure. I've seen him do different things. He's going to have to find a way. And oh yeah, by the way, who knows how good and, and how, how how good Legarius Sneed is feeling? Who is your best blitzing guy? And may, hell, maybe your best pass rusher right now, to be honest, if he was healthy. Jamari <laughs> Connor. Jamari Connor. Just put him on the field and be like, dude, you're a torpedo. Just, just go get to the quarterback at all costs. It's fine. But to me, it is it is Spags. Spags has to be enormous in this game and finding a way to get pressure on them. Because I do like the secondary, but even Jared Goff, if he just has time, and 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 I'm just saying, if he has time, he's much better when he has time. If he has time, he can make throws. I think it's any quarterback. So the other thing, Ron, is like I I, I make my jokes about the Lions' offense. Their offensive line is awesome. Absolutely, like the, the best thing that they have going for them in Detroit right now this is was that a they top have a five offense last year. Yeah, and, and it mostly because of the offensive line. Um, and, and I think they have really upgraded the running back unit. So, like, they, they've got some stuff going for them on the offensive line, despite all of my negative talk about the Detroit Lions uh, a little bit ago. I, I'm mad at you because you took the, like, objectively correct answer. And so I'm, I'm a little upset about that. But the reason why you're so right about it is because, like, 
I said George Karloftis is the answer. And it's because you made it seem like we were supposed to say a player, and obviously I then did, you I did to not. Out. I said idiot. Yeah, I feel like he, like he kind of let us on. To... No, that's, that's but but the truth is, like, I don't think George Karloftis is capable of being the guy that they need him to be while Chris Jones is out. And that's where your answer is so excellent, and God, does it piss me off. Because... <laughs> Because, like, they they don't have anybody that can replace what Chris Jones did for them. And, therefore, you have to get super creative. Like, you are going to have to have Shamari Connor and Legereus Sneed coming off of the edge as, like, basically extra edge rushers. You're going to have to find creative stuff to do with Leo Chanel. The fact that you went out and got Drew Tranquil this offseason as, like, a coverage linebacker, that needs to come in handy over the first, like, six weeks of the season because you're going to have to make up for the fact that some of these other back seven players are regularly going to be blitzing. This defense should look like the Baltimore Ravens of old. This should look like what the Giants did last year, where it's just you have no idea where somebody's coming from, but at all times you've got at least five dudes coming after the passer because they can't get home with four, not with the unit that they've got available right now. And we know Spags is going to blitz. Like, Spags loves to blitz. He loves to dial up unique blitzes. Like, we know that's going to happen. But, but, sir, do you feel like he's got to take it up even more of a notch no, than he I, normally does? Yeah, for, for sure, because they have to generate pressure. And I'm not super confident that the defensive line can generate pressure the way that it's constructed going into week one. Like, Tershawn Wharton's coming off a serious knee injury, and I know he's healthy right now, and they, and they like him. But, like, obviously, he's not a Chris Jones replacement. Mike Dana plays inside and outside, and he's fine. He, he he can give you productive snaps, but most of his productive snaps have come when Chris Jones is on the field. And so I don't really know how productive all these guys can be when Chris Jones isn't the guy who's commanding double teams and, and just disrupting so many things on the defensive line. And But, but the problem that I think that you're going to run into is – if they can't generate pressure at all, like if, and we were talking about this before the show, like Felix is going to play way more snaps than we anticipated going into week one without Chris Jones or without Charles Menehu, because Mike Dana was going to be one of your starting defensive ends. George Karloftis was going to be your other starting defensive end. And then Chris Jones in the middle. And you felt pretty good about that without Chris Jones and no Charles Amenahu, like Felix is going to have to be heavily rotated in on opening night. And that's not really where you want to be, even though we saw some good reps from Felix in the preseason. Like, but Felix is still a project and he's still a guy that you have to develop and you hope he turns into something where I would get worried with this offense and specifically rookie running back Jameer Gibbs. Like if Spags is just out there blitzing the hell out of them and they actually deploy Jameer Gibbs the way that they claim they're going to like out of the backfield, like that's going to leave a lot of open field for, I want, in my opinion, one of the running backs who has a chance to be one of the most dynamic playmakers in the NFL. And so it, it gets complicated, but it all comes back to can George and Felix and Mike Dana and Tershawn Wharton and Derek Noddy and Keandre Coburn, can all those guys get any kind of pass rush at all? without Spags having to dial up those blitzes. And see, and see what sort of you just said kind of leads me into a place that I know you you think BK is a little bit maybe overvalued is as I said, this is a top five offensive uh, offensive unit last year. And they were they 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 thought they were going to lose their coordinator. He comes back, he stays there. They were a top five unit for Dan Campbell last year but you have questions about how good this offense actually is. 
And I think Serta makes a point to that with Jameer Gibbs, who they've added to this offense. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good offense. I think we overstate how great they are. Um, I, I think if you see them go up in terms of the level of competition that they face this year, I think we're going to see them take a step back. We see this all the time, right? Where a team has a really good season, kind of comes out of nowhere, has a really good offense coordinator. And I do think their offense coordinator is great. And then the next year, it's like, oh, okay, well, they, they were doing a bunch of unique stuff. They got away with it for a year and teams kind of adjusted. And I think that's kind of what we're going to see this year. Guys, their number two wide receiver going into the season is one of the following. Josh Reynolds, Marvin Jones, or Khalif Raymond. That's not where you want to be as a team. Like Amonra St. Brown is awesome. I love the guy, but he's a slot wide receiver that wins over the middle and gets you 10 yards at a time. At some point, you got to be able to do something else on the outside. I'm excited about Sam Laporta. I've drafted him in just about every best ball draft that I've done this year. It was a lot of ugly play, a lot of drops, and uh, a lot of negative plays from this young group of pass catchers that you're hoping to see step up and we just didn't see much of it tonight you could be the voice of reason today steven serta i'm going to be the guy that's pissed off at andy reed for keeping Kadarius tony in the game and continue to go back to him that was the biggest coaching mistake he has made in recent memory the guy clearly didn't have it today and you kept on putting him out on the field and you kept on dialing him up and then on, on, on a crucial short yardage situation, you get super cute. Like the Philadelphia Eagles figured out how to how to convert every single short yardage play. Like I like I don't want to be too too negative, Nancy. It's only one game, and you're right. These guys are going to go through some growing pains, but they're also professional football players making a professional football player game check for being out there tonight. There was way too many drops. The offense looked too sloppy. They looked undisciplined. They looked not ready. For the, for the stage that they were on is what they looked like. And Andy Reid just just blindly kept on going out, going back to Kadarius Tony, like he was just gonna magically get his confidence back. Like he was gonna magically like like he was gonna like, like, like this was the movie Hook. He was gonna magically find his 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 marbles and be able to fly all of a sudden. And Kadarius <laughs> Tony wasn't gonna fly today. Like like you want to draw out the same plays, that's fine. Go to Richie James. Like it's not like you don't have other players on the roster who can who can who can make those plays like it's it's just mind-numbing to me like he's one of the greatest coaches of all time obviously i love andy reed but this was not a stellar performance on his part and you say we can't put it on the defense and i agree with you i think the i think the front four played way better than expected like like they were like like fau and george carlotis and mike dana those guys looked awesome even naughty by nature out there looked really good in run defense, right? And so, but the secondary came out of the gate slow. They looked sloppy. They looked slow to react. They got, they got on the first touchdown, they got beat across, all the way across the field by Amon Ross St. Brown, who is a very, very shifty and crafty wide receiver and is a very successful player in this league. He also ran a 4.640 yard dash. And you got beat all the way across the field. Three defenders took bad lines to the ball, got beat across the field because they came out unprepared. Now, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to overreact, but I'm also pissed off because they didn't show up. Rocky, you can overreact. I'll be the level-headed one on tonight's show because... It's the rapid I'm, reaction show. I, I'm in I'm in no way worried about this Kansas City Chiefs team after tonight's performance. Yeah, there's some red flags and... 
you know, I had the show sheet all set up to talk about the defense and then get into the offense. But I think we have to talk about the offense because the offense is the reason they lost this game. So let's get into that. And there's a lot of questionable decision making uh, from Andy Reid and Matt Nagy and this offensive coaching staff tonight. And I, I have to wonder if some of it is the last minute uh, unavailability of Travis Kelsey and him getting ruled out and getting hurt on, I think it was Tuesday's practice. And then, you know, not being available on, on such a quick turnaround for a Thursday night game to open the NFL season that I think that was kind of like, well, hell, what are we going to do without Travis Kelsey? And so there was some poor decision-making I think made by the chiefs coaching staff tonight. And you talked about Kadarius Tony. I think Kadarius Tony was a really poor decision by the Kansas City Chiefs coaching staff tonight to deploy him this much. And, you know, and, and Kadarius Tony has been for the majority of his NFL career, an unreliable player. Like, I, I think it's totally fair to call him that. Like, he's just not a guy who has been able to stay on the field. And he's not a, a guy who you have been able to count on and rely upon in, in key situations generally. But we saw him have big moments with the Chiefs last season where I, I call into question the decision to deploy him so much tonight and have him on the field so much and have him get targeted so many times, especially in the key moments of the game, like in the fourth quarter where Patrick Mahomes has him open down the field and sure the pat he had to adjust to the pass a little bit, but like there was no defender around him. Like you have to make that play. You have to make that catch. If you're Kadarius Tony, this is a guy they've hyped up all off season to be their wide receiver one and the number one offense in football but I still question the decision to deploy him this much tonight and rely on him this much because we're talking about a guy who just returned to practice less than two weeks ago, who missed all of training camp, got hurt on the very first day of training camp, missed it in its entirety, did not practice once in St. Joseph, Missouri, and didn't take the practice field until, until like the last week or so. And to deploy him this much, like I think tonight we saw he looked like a player who was lacking reps and looked like a player who was rusty. And once he had the first drop that, uh, that led to a pick six that put the lines right back in the game where it felt like the chiefs were going to take this thing over. Like it, it all went downhill from there and totally unraveled. Like he just looked like a player who had no business having the role in the offense that he had tonight. And for some reason, the chiefs just kept putting him back out there and kept going to him. And he let him down every single time. That's just poor decision-making by your coaching staff after seeing that it just was not his night and they should probably stop putting him out there. A hundred percent. They should have stopped putting him out there. They should have, they should have known after the pick six that, that he wasn't, that he wasn't ready. Like everybody else who was watching the game saw it and said, okay, Tony's not ready. Like, like, stop going to him at this point. Like, he cost the he cost the Chiefs cost the Chiefs a pick six there, and then he also cost the Chiefs again when they ended up kicking the field goal. Right? You know, that's that's eleven point swing right there that he that he possibly cost the Chiefs. And on top of that, it's you, you sit there and and you look at it and you say, yeah, like, sure, the unavailability of Travis Kelsey is rough. It's there's there's no like it it changed the entire offense. There's no there's no arguing that whatsoever but you also had a couple of days that where you knew he probably wasn't going to be available and travis kelsey not being in there doesn't make you go for it on fourth and two with blake bell and a trick play that you also try to trick play with blake bell the very first fourth down of the preseason that also didn't work 
like you have a history that these trick plays don't work. That I and don't you, even want to. And, wanna, and, I don't even and you do it. You, you, you do it again. And then beside the point, you're you're, you're in a slugfest with this team that that you are clearly better than. The Chiefs are clearly a better team than the Detroit Lions. They had to shoot themselves in the foot time and time and time again to lose by one point. And and you're sitting here in a slugfest and with with an offense that shouldn't be able to keep pace with you, and you kick the field goal. Late in the second half, go for it. Gosh, they're not going to go the length of the field on you, most likely. Just go for it and get another touchdown and extend the lead. Like, like stop. Like you're like you're being conservative when you should go for it, and then you're doing a stupid trick play when you should just be conservative and run it up the middle. Like it's opposite day inside of their minds half the time. It feels like it's those short yardage trick plays have not worked for years now and uh, it's pretty evident that Andy Reid and I saw some people blaming Matt Nagy for that like as if him coming back is all of a sudden the reason they're doing that as if they haven't been doing that for years and years even when he wasn't here like that's just what they do in short yardage hasn't worked for years they haven't changed a thing and so I don't think they're going to change a thing when it comes to that situation. And that's incredibly frustrating because if you're going to be so blatantly obvious in third and one situations, just hand the ball to Isaiah Pacheco and let him try to run down their throats and pick up a yard. If you're never going to do a quarterback sneak with Patrick Mahomes again, because he got hurt one time several years ago, then at least be blatantly obvious and just say, the interior of our offensive line can manhandle people, and we're banking on them being able to get help our running back get one yard. Um, well, and, and here's the thing about that. You're fine with Mahomes scrambling for 17 yards and getting tackled from behind by a 370-pound defensive lineman and getting his legs wrapped up, but you're afraid to let him go behind your own fat guys and try to pick up a yard because, like you said, a free play multiple years ago. It's not like he doesn't do more dangerous things on every single play. You know, and so – when you think about it, it's like, are are you putting two? Are you, are you handicapping yourself? Like, like the Chiefs are just handicapping themselves time and time and time again by doing this, you know, and and like, and you think about it, like Darius Tony. We'll go back to Darius Tony for a second. Like, he's a guy that's a known head case. Even after he scored the touchdown in the Super Bowl, you you saw the videos of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid trying to calm him down on the sideline and being like, "Hey, all right, stay level, stay level." And he was like, "I'm good, I'm good, I'm good." That tells you that the guy's emotions vary wildly throughout the game. Yeah, it's it, it's very frustrating, and I, I'm willing to bet that Andy Reid, if you're and if you wind up listening to us on the podcast page, we'll have all the post game press conferences available for you immediately following the commercial break. But I'd be willing to bet that Andy Reid is going to take a lot of responsibility for tonight's performance and. There's going to be a lot of overreaction to this Chiefs team and the wide receivers and the pass catchers. And like it was ugly tonight. And for all of the questions that we had about these wide receivers, I don't think we got a single one of them answered in week one of the NFL season. I'm going to have all the same questions next week when they take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that's frustrating because I think we're really hoping to get some kind of answer on, on this thing in this rotation, but they made all seven of them active, all seven of them played, and none of them really impressed you all that much outside of Rishi Rice, who had a couple of nice moments early in the game, and we'll get to that. But it, it just, it, it kind of, I go back to week one last year, and the, the question marks that we had uh, about the offense and trading away Tyreek Hill and everything, but 
they had more veteran presence and they don't have that this year. They have young guys who are going to be developmental and who are going to take time to, to figure things out. And yeah, you would have loved to seen something out of sky more tonight, but you didn't get there. And I'm still hopeful that we will see something at some point from him and that we'll see something from these other young pass catchers. But this was always going to be uh, something that they had to overcome this season. And I think it's something that we probably, I think, undervalued or or decided like it's just going to they're going to figure it out because it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And we underestimated how much it was going to impact them. And we saw that tonight. Like, I think back to last season and there was a point early in the year where a lot of people were saying, well, the Chiefs don't have anybody who can win one-on-one. The Chiefs don't have anybody who can straight up beat you man-to-man and and go take the top off of the defense. And that didn't really matter because they were just efficient as hell. And they had veteran players who were reliable and who would go do what they needed to do on the football field. You don't really have that this season. And I, I think the biggest issue that we saw, too, outside of those two scoring drives was Patrick Mahomes was holding on to the ball for a long time because these pass catchers were struggling to get open and they were struggling to separate and and, and try and try to make plays downfield. And that's going to be something that they have to work on. They have to get better at as the season goes on. Now, you know, maybe no one in this in this wide receiver core is an elite weapon or develops into that. I'm not ready to say that. Like, I'm still banking that these guys can develop and, and turn into better players. But it was ugly tonight, and I think poor decision-making by Andy Reid and Matt Nagy in critical moments of the game and trotting Kadarius Tony out there when he just simply did not have it tonight, all of that stuff affected everything, and I still have all the faith in the world in Patrick Mahomes and this offense, but it was just a really ugly performance, and it's not, it's not how you wanted to feel tonight after you hang a Super Bowl banner at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> 